0: Thank you. Go ahead and be seated, guys. Uh, kids can be dismissed to children's church. I have several favorite moments that happen through the course of a Sunday. This is one of them. Watching the kids scurry out of here. Um, let's uh, let's let's pray for them as they go to their, their classes and are exposed to the gospel. And I promise you, it's okay if you're looking around while you're praying. God still hears it, and. No one with a ruler is going to slap your knuckles. God, I thank you this morning for children, and I thank you for the, the beauty of their innocence and uh, the excitement that they run out of here with to go back to class, Father. Maybe that's to learn about you. Maybe that's to go and go be silly and do stuff with crayons. But God, I'm excited that children are here and in our midst and bring enthusiasm to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our children in Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're in John, as uh, you may have heard this morning already. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, I think most of the scripture is going to be uh, on the screen above us. But before we get there, um, I want to talk about this title slide that we have here. Um, a lot of times we, we come at scripture and come in an entire book when we're going to study a whole book. And we, we we see, like, we do well to see the gospel of John or any other book as... Just a portion of the big story that God is telling, right? You've probably heard me say that before. You've probably heard some other pastor type say that before, that uh, we do well when we study a book of the Bible to understand that it is, it's, it's a place in the big story that God is telling. From the beginning to the end, God is telling one big grand redemption story, um, and John is a part of that. But I, I want to say this, as we begin to go and attack this, I, see, I want us to see John as a, just a simple book written by a guy who had a goal in mind to tell us about the life of Jesus. And so we've titled this series, A Biography of Jesus Christ. So I want us to like, understand that we're reading scripture and it's the inspired word of God. I want us to understand that completely, but at the same time, I want us to understand this is, this is a book written by a guy about a guy. You guys have probably read biographies in your life. And a biography is, an author has decided there's a really important figure that I need to tell you about. And he tells you about that really important figure. And most of the time, this really important figure, the author has an idea of of sort of a glimpse that he wants to give you of this really important historical figure. And John's is that Jesus is the Christ. And Every time I say Jesus Christ in a preaching setting, I want to disclaim it with this. Most of the time, the general psyche of at least the Western world is that Christ is a last name. I'm Rick Maxedon. Maxedon is my last name. And a lot of times we think that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's not. It's not a name at all. It's a title about who he is. In the Old Testament... Instead of Christ, they would have used the word Messiah. So it's, it's, a, it's important for us to understand that this is a biography about Jesus who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. So when the original hearers of the Gospel of John would have heard Christ, instantly their mind goes to Not a man who would die on a cross, but one who was prophesied about thousands and thousands of years before by hundreds of people, and literally became this perfect son of God. All right? So for us, when we hear Christ, we hear, that's a man, that's the guy who died on the cross. Which is accurate about Jesus, but the term Christ is meaning more than that. Follow me? All right, so this is a biography of of jesus christ and as i want to encourage you guys to do something through this the course of the series um there's going to be little facts that we kind of find about jesus i want you to just i I know a lot of you take a lot of notes or have like a a journal and stuff i would encourage you to get a journal for this series and just write down a few things that you learn about jesus and and we're going to learn a few of those today uh so as we embark on a new series, it's, especially when it's an entire book, I like to do a lot of work on trying to figure out the, the, the foundation of what the book is. So we're going to spend some time doing that this morning. Um, the author of the book of John is, this is the easiest question you'll be asked today, who, who wrote the book of John? John, good, way to go. You guys, uh, if you don't attempt to answer another question the rest of the day, you'll be 100%. Well done, keep it up. Um, so John writes the book, and John was a part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Of the 12 disciples, he had three that he invested more of his life in and spent more time with, and when he went like to the transfiguration and when he went to, to go pray in the garden, it was these three guys that were with him. So John was really tight, really important, central figure to the disciples. Um, scripture paints a figure of John before The gospel of John and some of the other gospels as kind of a a brash guy. But as like the life of Christ kind of evolves and he begins to move towards death, John becomes less of this brash sort of guy and more of an introspective sort of um, strong, silent type, all right? And that's who John becomes. And, And interesting because on the night of Christ's death, all the other disciples are scattered, but you can see, like if you read the, the accounts of the last night of christ 's death, you can see John is sort of following Christ to his death, and he 's really melancholy um, because Jesus is dying, and so john 's gospel paints this sort of melancholy tone, so that 's throughout the course of this of this book it 'll be less about like specifically laying out things that Jesus did and more about just presenting him as the Christ. So the setting, where did John write this book? He wrote this book in Ephesus, and we've taught a lot here in our Church about the book of Ephesians, which is written to the church in Ephesus, and this is an interesting fact. The gospel of John was written around, best case scenario, 80 to 90 AD, which is about 20 to 30 years after the book of Ephesus was written, which is very interesting to me because when I think of a gospel, I think of something we want to get on paper quickly to distribute to people around the area. But this was written about 60 years after Christ had already died. And John had come to a place, the church in Ephesus, a strong, established church in a really important town. John is now living there, probably helping to pastor the church in Ephesus, uh, helping to lead that church in Ephesus. And he sees this need to infuse into the church not just a historical account of the events of life of Jesus' life, but an historical account of the events of Jesus' life that presents him as Christ, as Messiah, as Savior, as the long-awaited, anointed one. So it's big for us to come to grips with that. Okay, next thing for us to understand about the book of John is this, the purpose and tone. The purpose and tone as Amy's already talked about this morning, it's to present Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Um, I want to read the verses that Amy has already read and had us read before, which paint the picture John telling us at the end of his gospel why he's writing his gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. John selectively chose these events to tell us, about these events because they show the thread, the theme, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. It was very theological. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're going to kind of end on this this morning, but I'm going to kind of bring it as a, as a precursor to us. That you might have life in his name. Like, here's this is a, an eternal wrestling match, struggle, with the Christian and the non-Christian. Like, how do I have life? What is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Why do I take breaths? What, do I, what am I doing? And what do I have to do to gain that purpose? And very simply put, at the end, John presents Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the long anointed one, the one that God decided before all time, this is how I'm going to redeem mankind to myself. This one, his life, is summed up here, that you may have life by believing in his name. Period. Like... I said there's like an eternal wrestling match that happens from like the Christian who has been like Billy Graham style, top of the mountain, everyone wants to be this dude sort of Christian to the, to the agnostic. We wrestle with the same thing. Life, purpose, meaning, how, what do I have to do? Jesus. Jesus. And the beautiful part about that is that's, that's really simple and really ridiculously complicated at the same time. Like we could swim in, in the depths of that and never reach the bottom. But we could also dip our toes in and experience the fullness of it. It's simple and deep and just, it's ridiculous and great. So, last thing for us to come to grips with here is the genre. The genre is gospel. Um, Genre is the, the purpose or what it, how it's written. Um, R.C. Sproul, who's written a commentary that we'll use a lot as we walk through this series this year, um, says this about the Gospel of John. His, John's, is the most theological of the four Gospels in the New Testament. He devoted almost two-thirds of his written content to the last week of Jesus' life. That's really astounding, isn't it, to think about that? Like, Jesus lived 30 years, and two-thirds of what John writes is about seven days. It's fascinating. But again, remember, his point, the purpose of writing his book, is so that we might know and understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. As a result, the most important things that happened in Jesus' life happened in the last seven days. If we want to present him as the Christ, this is what we focus on. That's what John focuses on. His gospel is theological. Uh, John, as it were, wanted to put a spotlight on the critically important redemptive historical activity that Jesus performed during his stay on Earth. Um, RC Sproul's really deep, and that's some more deep stuff. So let's. I want to want to read the first eighteen verses. This is what is known to most scholars. It might even show up in in your Bible in a heading there as the prologue, Um, starting with verse 1. Let's read these, and then we'll kind of dig into them one by one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Intentional pause, verse 12, the most important verse we'll hear today. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, Before we get, do you mind if I, I pray here? God, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to who your Son is and the life that he lived, Father. God, draw us in, allow us to be free from distraction, and see you and understand your son Jesus. It's in his name that I pray, amen. R.C. Sproul also says this about this prologue and about John's gospel. John is not interested in being a detached observer, a chronicler of the life of Jesus. He is trying to persuade his readers of the truth of Christ so that they might become his disciples. Which I think is fascinating because every other account in scripture about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they get into ancestry or the birth of Jesus, uh, detailing specifics about his birth, detailing specifics about who his parents and grandparents, and tracing them all the way back to David. It was really important to those guys to highlight those things. John, it was not important. He gets deep into theology on verse 1. In the beginning. You ever heard another passage of scripture that starts that way yeah genesis 1 in the beginning and it's all about how god it's theology how god created the word theology is theos theos is god the study of god theology starts with genesis 1 in the beginning god here in the beginning was the word the word here is jesus do interesting to note the word is here a bunch of times But only once is Jesus Christ at the very end of the prologue. find that to be interesting. But there's theology here. But when we're studying theology about Christ, it's called Christology. All right? Christology. This is Christology. So John starts his gospel at the very beginning with some very deep Christology. And it's expositional Christology. Pardon the fact that I'm teaching a seminary class for just a second. Um. It's expositional Christology. Christology is the study of Christ. in expositional, you guys have, who's seen a movie in their life? Yeah? Once or twice, a few times? You guys have been exposed to exposition. When you go see a movie, the first few minutes, the first five minutes to 30 minutes is exposition. You see a character, you're introduced to a character. I'm going to tell you some backstory about this character so you know who he is. As he encounters what he encounters. That's exposition. Movies, books, TV shows, they all deal with exposition. Good movies, good books, good TV shows do a good job quickly with exposition. Here's John with some expositional Christology. So I'm going to say some stuff about Jesus here in just a minute. But before I do, this is what you need to know about Jesus. Who he is, what he did, where he came from. That's expositional Christology. Christology, all right? So what is the expositional Christology that he brings to us here? First, that Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Like, before in the beginning there was nothing, and God said, let there be light. In the beginning, Jesus was. Here's, Here's a big fact that John is presenting to us. There was never a time in the course of History, eternity past. There's never been a time where Jesus was not. It's important for us to come to grips with as we proceed here. This is expositional Christology. Jesus is eternal. Second thing, Jesus has always been in relationship with God. What comes after the comma there? In the beginning was the Word, showing Jesus is eternal. The second thing, and the Word was with God. All right? Jesus has always been in relationship with God. This is really complicated because it gets into the Trinity and it's weird and I don't understand it and it's hard to fathom and it's impossible to explain. People have tried to make charts and graphs to understand and explain the Trinity. It's, it, it's like you can't grasp it. The only thing we can do is simply Simply come to it and think about the truth that there has never been a time where Jesus didn't exist. There's never been a time where Jesus wasn't with God. Now, here's the really confusing part. We can can comprehend a relationship between God and Jesus. Like we have relationships similar to God and Jesus. Here's the part that scratches your head. And the word was God. So Jesus is not only eternal, he's always been in a relationship with God, but he also is God. And this is hard to grasp, because it, how can you be with someone that you are? That's weird, it doesn't make sense, and it's, you're right, it's weird, it doesn't make sense. But the reality is, Jesus is God, and Jesus has always been in relationship with With God. And it's a mystery that we will one day understand. Now, verse 3, he starts working out the outworking of this expositional Christology. Verse 3 All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Like everything finds its purpose and its being and what it is. Its very essence and its core because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he did. Big, big stuff. And it's, it, it's like, if we're going to really engage the gospel of John, really engage Jesus, it's going to take some effort for you guys. Because we could stop and think about this one verse, about what that means, that everything has its life and its being and its existence through Jesus. We could spend four and a half hours and not get to the bottom of it. So it's going to be important for us, Dave and I, as we teach through this, to to spark stuff in your brain that you're going to want to think and ponder and journal and pray and meditate and consider. This is one of them. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. Speaks to the eternal nature of Jesus. In him, was life. In him was life. Like we always just, we wrestle how purpose, meaning, life. Why? What do I have to do? How do I have to gain? It's in him was life. It's just like John is deep thinker, melancholy, introspective. I can just imagine him sitting, thinking, writing Agonizing In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, later on in this gospel, will call himself the light." And this metaphor is used a lot by John and by Jesus to describe Jesus. And this is the cool part. Verse five: "The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it." This is the, the, the cool part about this metaphor is darkness is a really powerful thing, right? Darkness is like the the reality the the physical reality of darkness we've all experienced like when we wake up in the night it's dark in our room, right or just when we close our eyes and, and put on a, a like a sleeping mask, it gets really dark and but we the light will always win and he, this is something that I thought about this week. this is something that like the the artistic people in our church wrestle with a lot. you see. Look look at the screen here. Forget about what it says. Look at the bottom right. It's that white is a little bit brighter than the stuff in the top left. I don't understand why how did that I don't like somebody can probably tell me what happened there. And we all we also wrestle with like when we put images up there like Kyle made the image for the the gospel of John, the biography of, the, of Jesus Christ, right? And one of the things that he's doing there is trying to make it so that the imagery, the colors and the light will show up because the light pours into these, these windows and onto the screen and dulls what's there. Right? And that's the premise that Jesus is, that, that John is making here. Like, darkness can't win. Light always wins. We, look, that's a really pitiful job of trying to darken those windows. And it's like our fourth attempt. But, like, it's silly and it's funny, but it's beautifully poetic. Do your best to cover up the light. You will fail. Like, I want to jump up and down and say, stop chuckling. Like, seriously. I've said like about a hundred times. I'm sorry. Verse 6. There was a man. This is... Strange here to think, okay, he's talking deep theological, theologically about Jesus, and then he inserts something here about somebody named John the Baptist. Why does he do that? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, was, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Do you get that? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Wait a second, John. You just said that. You said the same thing twice in a row in verses 7 and 8. He's a witness about the light. So why does he... He's in the middle of this deep theology, and he inserts John the Baptist. What's the point? The point is, is that from the beginning of creation, or from the beginning of, of the establishment of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people... They were promised a coming king, a Messiah. Jesus is coming, and he's going to be called the Christ, and he will redeem Israel, and he will restore the kingdom of God back to its intended original state, right? This is what they've all believed for thousands of years. Along with those prophecies, woven through all those prophecies about Jesus' coming is this. There's going to be another guy coming just before Jesus comes, and he's going to come and be a precursor, prepare the way of the Lord. You guys are probably whistling through a song you might have heard a while ago. Prepare you the way for the Lord. That's John the Baptist coming to prepare a way for the Lord. So he was so everyone who knew that there was a Christ that was coming also knew. That there was a John the Baptist coming who was going to come a little bit before Jesus and proclaim this redemption, this repentance of sin so that Jesus could have his way prepared for him. This person is John the Baptist. Um, Hit that next slide, Dave. Isaiah 43 was a, a simple prophecy about that. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Jewish people... Who understood that Jesus was the Christ and then pushed him away and were confused about what that looked like would have known, John the Baptist would have known this verse. Alright? So this is why this verse applies because John is trying to show these people that this is Jesus the Christ. The one that's been prophesied about and the one who was prophesied about the one who was prophesying about. You follow that? The witness of the witness? John the Baptist. Verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world again let your mind just drift this week as you journal as you meditate on verse 9 about this idea this concept of of light completely overcoming the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. This is like Jesus' own people. Jesus came as a Jewish carpenter. His own people were the Jews. The Jews were the ones that killed him, the ones that didn't understand who he was. And this was difficult for the Jewish people to comprehend because they were expecting not a spiritual freedom and the spiritual redemption and a spiritual kingdom, but instead a physical one that, like David had, big, strong, powerful, were the boss Everybody's got to bow to us and serve us. That's the kingdom they were looking for. Jesus didn't bring that kingdom, so they killed him. They didn't believe who, that he was the Christ. They believed he was somebody else. That's what John is getting to here. He was in the world, verse 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Then verse 12. Everything, I, I think, in this prologue is pointing to verse 12, and everything from 13 to 18 is pointing back to verse 12. Um, memorize this verse, meditate on this verse this week. Write it on your shower wall. Write it on a sticky note. And put it on your, your steering wheel. Write it in your journal right now. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is, this is, like, this is so important and so simple and so deep. This is the perfect illustration of, of all that Jesus is. Like we could spend months. Thinking about. What this simple verse means. Or we could spend 30 seconds. Appreciating it. And, and putting it into to who we are. And just going about our day. Either one is, is beautiful. And there's. Like the course of human history. Is tied up here. Do you see what's required of you? Look at this and tell me what's required of you. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What is required of you? Seriously. And this is John writing to you so that you might understand that Jesus was the Christ. The Son of God. You might have life. Here's, like, I have conversation upon conversation upon conversation with you and with other people and with myself. And I want to I want to say to myself, and I, my, my reaction is to say to you, Jesus and. But all that's, re- what is required of you? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're Americans, we know about our rights. To become children of God. I love my children with more than I can speak. And they didn't do anything. You have the right to become, to be called a child of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I think that's just some deep theology saying that God quickens and enlightens our souls and our hearts. But again, everything pointing back to this verse 12, all who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14, again pointing back to it, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some more expositional Christology as well. Jesus became, who was eternally in relationship with God and was God, became flesh, meaning got a body, and dwelt among us, walked on our ground and walked in our world and was tempted with the things that we're tempted with and was encountered with the things that we're encountered with. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think that's really beautiful, by the way. He defeated it and offers that victory to you. Verse 14, second half of verse 14, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, That phrase is really big, really important, grace and truth. Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Grace, as we know, is something that we don't deserve to have. And Jesus was filled with it. Jesus was filled with grace. He's also filled with truth. It's one thing to be filled with grace. It's another thing to be filled with grace and truth. So that when you exhibit grace, when you offer grace, you're right in your offering of that grace. Like our society, we have rules. When something happens, this is the price that you have to pay for that. We can offer grace, but that doesn't bring any sort of resolution to the the problem, the injury that's happened. Jesus is filled with grace and truth so that when he exposes, when he pours out his grace, he's correct when he does it. And this is a thing that's hard for us to grasp, to comprehend, because when we receive his grace, we want to tell Jesus, no, you're wrong when you're giving your grace to me because of who I am and what I've done. Grace and truth Come together to form the beautiful thing that is Jesus the Christ. You know, use that again grace and truth. Verse 15 John bore witness, he's talking about John the Baptist again. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was. Before me. In other words, John the Baptist was older than Jesus, but he's telling the world that Jesus existed before John the Baptist existed. Again, some eternal nature expositional Christology. Verse 16. And the full and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So like if it's not enough that Jesus was filled with grace, he's going to put more grace on top of that grace that he's full of it's it's simple and baffling at the same time it's beautiful jesus for the law was given through moses in other words people were given the law god's people were given the law here's what you have to do to get to me follow all these rules Later in scripture, Paul teaches that the law's real point was a schoolmaster, a teacher, to show you, a steps to show you that you really need Jesus. You don't need the law, you need Jesus. You need to throw yourself on him. So Moses gave us the law, something we could never live up to, something that we're going to get wrong, something that we will fail at. But Jesus, wait a second, not Jesus, Jesus Christ for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus the Christ. Again grace and truth. He gave it to us free that we didn't deserve and he was right when he did it. For the law was given through Moses something that brings us to our knees and makes us hate ourselves. But what came to us because of Jesus, grace and truth. Can everyone look at me for a second? Because there's coming a time for everyone in this room where we're going to come, and and I'm standing in this room too, and little Max, who is tiny and hasn't really formed his thoughts yet, is in this room. Everyone in this room is going to come to this place one time God, I'm miserable. I don't deserve you. And we're going to wrestle with that. And we're not going to know what to do with that. Grace and truth that came to you through Jesus so much that you could be called the child of God says this to you. I love you. Come to me. You're my child. That's what grace and truth is. And that's who Jesus The Christ is. And that's the point of John writing this biography so that you might believe that. And the thing is, he didn't write it at the beginning of the church. The church had already existed for about 40 years when John writes this. So it's not something that is an elementary fact that you have to have and then move from. It's something that we always have to have at all times. And we need to have people in our lives with microphones yelling at us Grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. Because our bend is to be like Moses and the law. I failed, I'm a failure. Yes, that's true. Grace and truth is also true. And what overcomes the darkness? Bang. Yes. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is Jesus. Are you as excited as I am to walk through this, to understand, to to feel these truths for like 2014? Let's pray and worship our God. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for grace and truth. God, I thank you that you are all that we need. God, free our minds from clutter and busyness and life and allow us to just purely see you. Thank you for Jesus, his name.